you you both had some some setbacks, I guess, to your training. Um, what's what's carried through? What what have you what lessons have you learned from um, from that, and how do you bring that into the bodybuilding? Go ahead, Pascal. Yeah, um, for me, it's like that. I took a lot from it because I, as you mentioned uh, prior, that. Either you have this go hard or go home mentality or you never push yourself. And I was always like uh, that I had the feeling to do or that I needed to do more and more. And uh, I just needed to add some volume to make some progress and uh, that I can't ever take any uh, days off of the gym. Uh, and the injury itself and the, the, the time after my surgery just proved me wrong that it's actually good to take some time off to uh, work yourself back up uh, to um, kind of be patient when it comes to injuries to don't just jump the gun and uh, increase the weight immediately again because I just started implementing squatting and deadlifting for the first time since three months uh, post-surgery now and all I'm doing is putting 20 kilo plates on each side and increasing the weight five kilos each week. I know I'm feeling better. There's no pain whatsoever. And um, if I were, if I wouldn't, um, yeah, I know that I could definitely increase the weight and feel fine. But I know that this could potentially lead to a higher risk of me getting re-injured or damaging the whole process again. So why not take actually some more time to give it some rest because in the end, we are in it for the long run. It's often that quote of it's a marathon and not a sprint. And uh, I was aware of this quote prior to the surgery, but now the time after my surgery and the whole recovery process is like that I actually um, got what it meant the whole quote itself uh, that there's so much more to taking your time and uh, listening to your body in general than just hitting the gym hard pushing towards the end all the time and this was something I did in the past and uh, I think I took a lot from the whole process itself which is really beneficial in the end I suppose it's trying to remember, isn't it, while you're recovering from an injury, that the goal is not to get back to where you were as fast as possible and take on board the risks associated with that. It's re-establishing a consistent, the ability to train consistently in a consistent training practice, I suppose, which is hard, totally. so hard to remind yourself of when you go in and 60 kilos feels light and you're like, oh, I could try 100 kilos, 120. So it's... This is something yeah, you both experienced, I assume. Something that we've seen with, with all of the the best powerlifters as well. The the emerging trend is that the best powerlifters are not the ones that progress the fastest; they're the ones that remain injury free for <clears throat> the longest. And uh, although it's a really unsexy um, conclusion, you know, if you can progress for longer, then it doesn't the, the rates will kind of balance the, out. The data that I think it was I can't it might be Bryce Lewis. Someone evaluated the. IPF Worlds and the average age of a medalist. It was like 32, 33, which is not what you'd expect. Like I think everybody would think, oh, young, like early 20s, mid 20s, still loads of energy, low, low injury low, low injury rate up to that point. But actually it's the people who, as Yusuf was saying, have, have remained injury free 
as much as they possibly can up to their mid thirties that have allowed training to mature. And I'm like moving on to, um, you say you're working with Jeff Alberts. He's a prime example of someone who has matured into the sport of bodybuilding. Um, totally. I assume his attitude towards injuries when you're working with him is, is I imagine very similar to that, taking it very slowly, working with what you can do. Yes. And the, the best thing I took out of the whole thing was that you could, you could think of it as a negative event or occasion that okay fuck it i need to undergo a surgery now i can't live uh, the way i want to for the next month or maybe even the whole life because i need to drop powerlifting all along however what this actually uh, forced me to do is to overthink all my programming all the strategy how to lift in the gym because uh, also I, i talked to you about that i only was hitting my upper body I needed actually to take care of myself not to uh, increase the weight on my upper body lifts as well because my hip was involved in so many lifts as well. Yeah, so I, I always really need, I really needed to learn to listen to my body when it comes to lifting in general and planning intelligently and not just going into the gym and hitting it hard all the time and i think i i take way more out of the time of the surgery and post-surgery than uh maybe all the two to three years prior to that where i just hit the gym with uh, just following a strict training routine with the mindset of okay i have this and that standing on my strategy and my training routine and i need to achieve that otherwise i'm a failure and otherwise i don't make any progression so this is on on that note then what would you because it sounds like you did this right and you you obviously are taking a much more careful approach with rehabbing yourself what advice would you give to somebody who's had an injury or a setback and has to get themselves back up to what they were doing I mean as I already said um just take your time because there's no real rush uh, if you want to be in the game for the long run um build your way back up there's there Again, there's no real rush in getting back on the bigger lifts. Uh, the only thing what causes this uh, is another injury or making things even worse. And uh, I always said to people in my environment, when, I'm, when I need to step out of the gym for one year, but then after that I'm able to lift for another 10 or 20 years, this should actually be worth it, the time off. And I think so many people are just short-sighted and are only focusing on the here and now and with not taking into consideration the long-term consequences. And my only recommendation for people when they get injured, yeah, take your time. Uh, um, let your body heal. And if you are able to work around it, do it. There's possibly always the chance of it. And if not, then use the time for other stuff in your life. Uh, take the time to actually invest the time in learning, meetings up with some friends, uh, and uh, get some rest when it comes to uh, the mental aspect of training and nutrition. And then when the time comes again to hit it hard, then work yourself by, uh, back up and give you your goal on best solid advice and uh steve i saw you posted on instagram a couple of months ago a quote from mike Isretel, 
saying um, everything in your life needs to be periodized if you want to make progress in that. Have you got any other thoughts as well on um, getting yourself back up from an injury? Yeah, I think because mine was so long ago, I can't remember, and I didn't really know my shit back then, basically. I, I didn't know who Mike Isretel was. I didn't know who Alan Aragon was, let alone um, any of these people who kind of, obviously, I follow now and like, uh, have a lot of wisdom to give. Back then, I think really all I took from it was the the, the will and determination it takes um, because I do remember, I mean, I remember when I was in hospital and going out for a walk was a struggle. And then you do slowly build up to, I remember then being allowed home and I went out to try and go for a run and I just, it was ended up being a fast walk. And really it, it just taught me a lot of determination and just kind of will and to keep going um, because it does get better and you can push through things. And I think it has given me a, a massive kind of determination and kind of an obsessive kind of pursuit for things, which has really helped my bodybuilding. And I can relate a lot of those kind of mindset and things that I went through to bodybuilding because bodybuilding is very isolating. You do spend, I mean, you're in the gym on your own, you do your own nutrition. It's all very isolated. And my kind of recovery from the accident was all me. It was all reliant on myself. But the things that help me through my accident are the exact same things that help you through deep, dark times when you are dieting, like having people to go and talk to, keeping yourself accountable to other people. There are times at which I just, I, I mean, there's times at which you want to binge and break on a diet. There's times at which I just wanted to give up with kind of life um, when I was recovering from my accident. And the only people and the only way, sorry, to get out of that was to kind of call my mum and be like, this is really hard, this really sucks, and just talk to her and really like seek out those people that kind of you appreciate and who can build you up and realize that kind of there's a lot to life and this is a short period of time and you're going to get through it and you can push through it. Um, yeah, that's the main lessons I took away from it. But I do think I love that quote about kind of periodizing everything in life and like there's so many, I mean, just to relate to that right now, although it's quite off topic, literally trying to deload caffeine right now during my deload and it's surprising how hard it is to do that like just to go to decaf coffee especially during <laughs> the prep i imagine as well mm. well actually i'm on a diet break as well so it's kind of like a nice warm hug in a sense <laughs> deloading <laughs> and diet break steve let me ask you one thing uh what did you have prior to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> i did break i i've already broken um, I had a coffee before. Oh, Steve. Oh. I have to be on point for the propane podcast. I can't. We really appreciate <laughs> that. It's all in the pursuit of the higher, the, the, the greater good. It's so, gains, yeah. isn't it? It's everything is in the pursuit of gains at some point. I think, yeah, just the... Um... It just reminded me of when uh, Johnny came up with a theory a while ago, God. which was, um, Yusuf, you know, ultimately, everybody just wants to wreck birds. Like, like, <laughs> like David Cameron only does what he does because... At some point at the end of the the line, he just wants to wreck birds. <laughs> it um, is true. I hope my girlfriend isn't listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, any female well, thanks you, sir. <laughs> we, we, we can edit that bit out. <laughs> it, like, if you can disprove that theory, I'm all ears. But it does Next all... episode, maybe. I suppose it depends on your sexual preference as well. Oh, that's really powerful. But aside from that... But yeah, so what I was going to say was just that um, I think learning to, when especially going through a difficult time in, in dieting or in when you're injured, half of the battle, I think, is learning to stop fighting against it. 
and and realizing that like this is happening so i just need to be with that experience and just let it be the way that it is and the more when i've been injured in the past um so i I do powerlifting as well pascal so my my kind of timeline with powerlifting has been punctuated by injuries nothing as serious as yours but things that have, have completely like sidetracked me right before competitions and it's extremely irritating um and i think most of the irritation and and stress comes from this this shouldn't be happening and this shouldn't be this way and the more you just like i'm injured so the more i'll do what i can but it'll take as long as it'll take or you know i'm dieting i'm hungry but that's just the way it is like i I chose to go down this path so i need to accept the consequences but it's always hard to remind yourself of that at the time i think when you just want to squat or you just want to have a entire birthday cake or a big cup of coffee um to remember that you know like it's just the way this is and i've got to i've got to deal with it and suck it up but um i yeah coffee's a you, you we'll not talk about this because yousef's just like one day it was like i'm gonna give up coffee and he just gave a coffee and i i wrestle with it every the head si- well yeah well, <laughs> i've had periods where i'm like right this this is it and i'm like psych myself up my headphones on right no, no coffee today and then 10 minutes later i'm like oh my god i've got a headache oh I think I'm I'm wondering now whether the reason <clears throat> that it was easier for me is a bit like you know like your dad catches you smoking and makes you smoke the whole packet, <laughs> so, and then you throw up and you're like oh god I'm not touching cigarettes again. I think it was probably like that. I I, I went full circle and just pounded caffeine to the point where I was like. So Yusuf doesn't have a co- he didn't have a coffee problem. He had a caffeine pill problem. Oh, which oh. I think is like Coffin. it's like next it's like it's like not having a problem with like having a few pints every Friday, it's like Heroin drinking. <laughs> yeah, basically going IV. Because you had, when you, Yusuf used to work in like, basically an investment bank. Looking, looking you... back, like, I was just in the most, like, um, the, mo- the most glucagon dominant state that you could create. And so, so like, I'd come in, and be intermittent fasting. Like, I think in the morning, this was back in the dark ages of having like MCT oil in the mornings. Oh and yeah. Then cycling to work, headphones in, no helmet, like in between Edinburgh traffic with taxi drivers. So you already like, and then um, turn up fast the whole day, 600 milligrams of caffeine, six to 800 milligrams. Um, Johan Bean as well, wasn't and, it? Oh yeah, Johan Bean during the day. Nothing like a panic attack at midday. <laughs> <laughs> and you have this, this peak and then by the time it's like five, six o'clock, you come home, head hits the desk and then you eat all of your calories for the day. <laughs> and then rinse and repeat. <laughs> so uh, you're like, well, this is great. Yeah, my lifestyle <laughs> is healthy. In regard, uh, did you track your heart rate by it was any probably accident? constantly at three hundred. Just like we're talking about resting heart rate, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> horrendous. Yeah. Um, I think caffeine's a problem with with people who train. Definitely. Just overusing like, pre-workouts. I it's coffee for me. I couldn't care less for a pre-workout, but coffee coffee is a consistent thing, and I've noticed anybody who's dieted for prolonged periods of time tends to have a similar affinity to either like tea, green tea, coffee, or yeah. or even pre-workout. Like you see people drinking these monster drinks, or they make them now with BCAAs in. So obviously that makes it fun. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think genetic make one like a like a muscle moose energy drink. Oh, is, yeah. it, is anybody into energy drinks, Pascal? 
Yeah, I like the yeah. white uh, monster one, but right. we don't have this variety here in Germany. Most into, of them are the only Red Bulls, and Red Bull is just fucking expensive. I'm sorry, Red Bull. <laughs> you need to cut it out. If it it we're lost a listener now, Pascal. Red Bull's going to stop yeah. listening. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, the problem with Red Bull as well, it's like, it's like nylon flavor, so... I can nylon just, flavor? I can't get over that. I don't know what flavor it's supposed to be, but... Red Bull flavor. Oh, awful. <laughs> it just reminds me of being drunk, to be yeah. honest. But I would actually like to taste the protein uh, monster energy drink, but we don't have it here in Germany. Uh, I've never had it, but there's in the gym that I've I've just come back from. They have um, what's it called? Noco maybe? N O C C O. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they have it's like an energy drink with BCAs in BCAs, it. BCAs, yeah. Um, which I don't know. Feels like just a way of just thumbing something into an energy drink to make someone have more of yeah. it. But but I I don't think that it is only uh, in regards to energy drinks or uh, caffeine as a stimulant. It's also when it comes to music, for example. Mm -hmm. And I always uh, say to clients who want to compete in powerlifting that they should drop the music in the beginning of the competition prep. Yeah, mm -hmm. because music is can be such a stimulant. We all know that this. we have this one favorite song, we play all, over and over again, pump it up, and we get really like this pumping sensation. Yeah? And uh, this is, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's the same when it comes to music and all those kind of uh, stimulants to periodize them. Mm. Well, I would recommend uh, people out there to actually... Cyclists. You know, exactly. Uh, yeah. To um, use them when they are trying to overreach, for example. <clears throat> Or when they are getting close to a competition, uh, to to really push yourself and maybe only on uh, competition day itself, uh, to really get the most out of the stimulant as possible. We were chatting with Menno, I, can't, I can never pronounce his last name. Henselman. Henselman. He was, he was... Expert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were discussing the evidence around, or his, his kind of synthesized suggestion is drop caffeine completely. From your day so obviously i liked him immediately liked him less after he said yeah. that yeah. and then have 100 milligrams which to me just feels like why bother um prior single shot of espresso. <laughs> um like prior to prior to lifting and you, you get the ergogenic and psychological benefits from that um if you use it that way and i think music probably has a similar effect like with that with the favorite song that everybody has the more you listen to it the less of an effect it has yeah but it's this you fall into this trap, don't you? You listen to it once, you have a great session, you're like, ah, oh, well, next time I squat, stick that song back on again, same great session, but it, it gets less and less effective. And I think the same thing yeah. is to be said for caffeine. Yeah, yeah. and I think uh, Matt Garryman um, covered in, in his book Squat Every Day, okay. where he talks about um, actually the, the uh, effect on the CNS, so the mm -hmm. central nervous system, when it comes to different type of stimulants. Mm -hmm. And that you want to periodize them to actually get the most out of it. Mm -hmm. And especially when you train high frequency, that you don't fry your CNS every single day. Mm -hmm. You want to be really aware of it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great book. I remember him talking about how there's a, different, there's a different training effect from a session where you're really amped up and kind of shaking the bar yeah. to when you're just focusing on drilling technique and position, etc. But it's hard to... I'm always the most impressed, I think. There's a video of, of Dmitry Klokov mm. cleaning and jerking like 210. Oh, with his mate. Playing with his, <laughs> his mate's playing the accordion next to him, like messing around. 
and Dimitri just walks up to the bar, no psych up, clean and jerk, uh, two ten, walk away again. I'm like, how can he? Ju- he just enters this mode where it's uh, up. He's like drinking milk, and just, yeah. <laughs> and then, I'm also quite impressed with his mate because he's playing the accordion, and there's I think he's got 215 kilos bouncing like a centimeter from his foot. Doesn't flinch. Doesn't flinch. Just carries on playing. <laughs> Just, Russians, yeah, they just raised yeah. that way, aren't they? I think just, that's, that's the problem, yeah. just being Russian. But they, yeah. that comes wrestling back. Wrestling with the... bears in the Siberian. It's what, sorry? Bears? Uh, yeah, wrestling with bears with uh, topless yeah. in the Siberian winter. So just clean and jerk just ain't no thang at that point, is it? Like Exactly. Yeah. I wonder whether it's vodka. Maybe that's the, the new caffeine. Vodka. Of vodka. It feels like yeah. it wouldn't be the answer. <laughs> I'm not willing to try. But... We're getting pretty racist here, huh? <laughs> I think we've already set the bar quite high with racism for, for my my ripping of your of your Germanness. So, uh... <laughs> but um, but yeah, guys. Speaking of um, of crutches and relying on these things, and I think it's a great it's a great example of the, the the dance that you have to have with yourself, and you can't just keep digging into the the reserve without having to pay it back at some point, mm. and often paying it back at, at more of a price. So during a prep, things become a lot more of a tightrope. Would you agree? And so the tendency to want to use these crutches, especially if you're finding your strength is dropping and you want to um, hit those numbers for, um, at least for me, it was very much a case of ego. Like I've hit these numbers before. Why shouldn't I be hitting them now? Um, despite the fact that I'm like six kilos lighter and yeah. feeling grim. And so you'd end up sacrificing form or resting for like 10 minutes between a set just to try and squeeze out the reps. And as you said, relying heavily on all of the extra crutches of caffeine and music and the rest of it. And uh, there's a lot of really funky behaviours that start to come come out during a prep. Um, you guys are both. Are you are you both in a similar stage in your prep right now? Uh, <laughs> interesting. I've actually it's really actually really quite interesting. I've been dieting for four weeks now, so hence the diet break now and then back into dieting. But I'm probably sitting around eight um, percent, and but we're both competing in about September time. Whereas Pascal has just started two weeks. Just started bulking. Yeah, <laughs> I just started bulking. Eating into the show. <laughs> so I may well actually eat into the show. So I'm I'm much leaner than Pascal basically at the moment, and taking a bit of a slower, gradual approach, and we'll actually have kind of two halves to my prep. So, so I'm taking. Sorry. Just to, just to clarify, Steve, are you calling Pascal fat? Is that the... Yes, yes. Yeah. Definitely. That's the right. most tactful way to call someone fat. Yeah, like, Pascal, like, Pascal's trying. Yeah. Um, he's just started his prep. Like I mean, I'm, 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 I'm 8%, but... <laughs> but because he's in German time zone, you know, you can you can afford to be... <laughs> well, the prep's longer. Because yeah. he's in Germany. He's got an hour longer. It is. So, sorry, sorry, Steve. So you're you're in a diet break at the moment. And we'll probably increase calories eating up into the prep. Kind of the best so, case scenario. So yeah, I'm hoping basically, I mean, it looks like I've got a really long prep starting now and into September, but because every fifth week I'm planning kind of a diet break and then I'm actually preparing for like a maintenance phase and then like a second half of prep to really dig into shows. Cause I kind of felt at the moment that it wouldn't be more beneficial to try and bulk for more time and actually being lean and then just giving myself more time to diet would be a more effective strategy, especially because I'm someone who stays a bit leaner anyway, which isn't like how I did my first show at all. For the first show, I had to lose 30 pounds, whereas now 
I started at like just over 10 pounds over stage weight. Right. So it was like a big difference. And I'm hoping as well that that allows for less life stress. Um, because last time, like, I don't know, my relationship with my girlfriend and things like that definitely t- kind of took the back burner. They didn't go so well. Whereas this time I've kind of got periods of like weddings and like my mum's birthday, we're going away on holiday. So I can kind of allow for life stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Cause yeah, the first, kind of bit of prep hasn't gone as planned any, as uh, as such but uh, I'll let kind of Pascal talk about where he's starting yeah uh, as Steve already pointed out I'm kind of in a fat state currently <laughs> uh, <laughs> no um, I'm about 20 to 25 pounds over stage weight and I mean uh, it's 20 I'm 20 weeks out of the show which is plenty of time and um jeff and i we planned on doing or implementing a diet breaks along the way as well um of course this will depend on my state of mind and what my or how my body reacts to the whole contest prep itself but uh, we are planning on implementing like two or three diet breaks along the way um just for the sake of sanity, yeah? because it's my first contest prep, and he wants to. Well, we both want to actually enjoy the prep process, uh, so that after the show, I'm actually still loving the sport. Because uh, I see it so often with people that they are just pushing through a contest prep, making it harder than it's uh, that is really needed, and in the end, they haven't really enjoyed anything about the process in general which then leads to them never compete again or even dropping the sport all along which is definitely the wrong uh, thing about going into a contest prep yeah uh, you should actually enjoy the whole process and if you can't see yourself doing it why actually go through it then uh, it's really just too hard uh, but um, again, I'm starting at around 20 to 25 pounds over stage weight. And for me, the biggest struggle would be to actually learn the posing. I mean, uh, I have an idea. I can kind of teach it other people, but I never walk the road myself. And this is where it gets interesting. So it would certainly be helpful as a coach as well to have been through the process. Exactly. To, yeah, to coach it. We were we were talking yesterday, two days ago, about the difference between powerlifting and bodybuilding. Neither of us have done bodybuilding before. We've mm-hmm. been through probably not. You were probably stage lean. I think horrible. <laughs> you, <were done>. <laughs> <laughs> um, you got stage lean, but didn't compete. He got nice. stage lean for a powerlifting competition. <laughs> <laughs> Accidentally <Wrong spot. laughs> as well. Um, I think we both we both went through an initial diet where we got as lean as we could psychologically handle um and then did the the reverse diet and it probably took us the thick end of a year but we were talking about the difference between powerlifting and bodybuilding and how with powerlifting you can you go through this prep phase and you've done a lot of the work when you arrive at the competition but this it's still 100 percent reliant on your performance on that day and you yeah. can completely fuck it up like yeah. you can yeah. <laughs> get red lighted on three squats and that's it you have to go home you can with, have your confidence hit on an opener and then just... That's, just, that's it. And yeah. Whereas I think with bodybuilding, you hopefully, if the work's been done correctly, you arrive either in condition or not in condition. And obviously this, the, the posing's like the icing on the cake, but yeah. Steve, you maybe have a better perspective on this. I imagine the posing can't go so... Ro- well, 
Unless you do what, you could take what Eric Helms said about he, he had a client who um, who drank a jar of pickle juice. Um, just because he would, like towards the end of a prep, he was like, I'm craving something salty and just drank a whole jar of it. And he gained... How, how much, I can't remember, it was, it was nuts. He, it was, he gained a silly amount of weight, yeah. like overnight. And Eric was like, what the hell have you done? <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you were to pick a food or something to consume that would mess up your contest prep... That's pretty much it. Yeah, that. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I would, I would imagine unless you're, uh, unless you deliberately take the piss, as long as you have a have a go, posing is is the icing on the cake rather than a hundred percent reliant. Well, your your performance is a hundred percent reliant on that portion of it. Yeah, I think it's it's very similar to powerlifting. Well, I guess actually, I think it's very similar to powerlifting in that it does. There is something you can completely screw it up mm. because you have like powerlifting, you have your off season where you do build. That's where you're doing all the good work that's going to show on the platform eventually when you mm. peak. Whereas the same happens in bodybuilding, you can actually completely screw it up because it just an example is my first show I did. I didn't shave my underarms. Little did I know that that was something that they mark and judge you on really? was like, but yeah, because you're meant to have everything shaved apart from your facial hair and like your head hair. Um, so they marked <laughs> me down because I didn't have a I dark enough. I feel like a test tube baby, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, this is something I really dislike is because I, I don't like to view bodybuilding as like a beauty passion, but it kind of is because I didn't have my underarms shaved and my tan wasn't dark enough. So I got marked down. So those little elements definitely do count and posing i think i see people and i've been to shows where i'm like this guy is fucking jacked he's shredded but he can't pose for shit so he looks like a piece of crap compared to the guy next to him who's probably like five pounds like more overweight than he is but because he can't show it off he just like if you can't do a front lat spread and you can't actually spread kind of your lats out then you look like you're spongebob and you haven't got any lats so it's completely i i think you can really screw up in the same way nutritionally you can if you did do that pickle kind of in in that peak week people really can mess themselves up i mean people have even gone to hospital because they've messed around with too many different elements of kind of sodium potassium and water intake so i think you can really do some damage but i do i, I understand what you're saying like if if you're not stupid and you do just diet and then you go on stage and you kind of know the poses roughly, then you're not going to do anything too crazy. But I think, um, I do think posing, especially like Pascal was saying, I think can make and break people's kind of success on the stage. I suppose the yeah. opposite's true in the sense that with powerlifting, you can have a terrible prep and everything go wrong and still turn up and hit a squat, a bench, a deadlift and be semi-competitive. You turn up on a bodybuilding stage and you're fat. <laughs> it's, it's, you're getting laughed home, aren't you? So. Yeah. And I, I would like to add something to what Steve just mentioned. Um, I think that confidence plays a big, big role when you're stepping on stage. When uh, Because as a bodybuilder on stage, you want to create an illusion of being big and being jacked and stuff like that. And I think um, if you are doing a great job in regards to posing, you can actually uh, look as if you are bigger than the guy next to you. And if you then have the confidence of uh, being present, maybe you guys know some people in your environment where you just say, wow, they, I don't know what it is, but they have anything to them which makes them stand out in a crowd. And uh, I think in that regard, it's the same when it comes to stepping on stage. When you just are present, you can uh, kind of shine 
uh, over the others, even though you're maybe not as in condition as the others, but you're uh, presenting yourself in a better way than all your competitors. That's it's interesting because I, I guess when you're on stage at the end of a prep, that is precisely the time when your body confidence is going to be at its lowest. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have um, peaked in, in reverse almost because you're at the end of a diet, you've got all of the kind of engineered um, anorexic tendencies towards the end of a, a diet. And then also you're standing on stage in a thong with other guys who are shredded. And I imagine it's very easy to think like, bloody hell, I'm not conditioned enough. I'm, what am I doing? I'm standing here. And like, to be honest, Steve, like I think a lot of it was at the end of my diet, I felt so fragile that I was like, if I step on a bodybuilding <laughs> stage now, I don't know if I can even take it. So... <laughs> Just thinking burger, that... burger, burger, yeah, burger, exactly. burger. <laughs> That's a really good point because I think I've definitely heard people talk about how I, it's weird because bodybuilding is all about kind of, I don't know, looking a set, like an aesthetic pleasing way, but it's actually not a healthy state to be in when you're on stage. It's not like a healthy thing. Um, but that's something I want to, and hopefully we'll do this time. And I've, I've managed it with a couple of my clients where if you do get early, ready early, sorry. So you are in that condition, you can almost do that sort of reverse dieting as it was into the show. And that's kind of what I was talking about, kind of eating into the show so that when you do get to step on stage, you have energy and you do have that confidence. You do have that kind of love on the stage and you've gone past that kind of deep, dark time. Um, but yeah, I can totally relate to that because especially if it's your first show and you feel very underconfident and you don't want to, and if you do hide away and you do kind of pull your poses back a little bit, it can make you look really, uh, what does Arnie say? Kind of, you need to open up, open up the, I can't do an, a German accent. I'll let the German <laughs> open up the pose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, I think when you, when you went through that diet, you did, you went in, you were trying to get to the 74s. And you currently sit at like eighty. Um, I sit at seventy eight now. Okay, seventy eight point five ish. Yeah. So it was a it was a big drop, and I think you missed weight by point one. So the the original oh, yeah no. the original cut was went from about eighty two eighty three down to seventy three point nine five on 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 the uh, on the day after like trying to drop water and everything. So it was really uh, striated forehead. Yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a, an interesting. Interesting time to know you. Pretty horrendous, but that, that, that's the thing, though. You know, it's an interesting time to know me, and 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 Johnny <laughs> witnessed my like rotating obsessions with like malt loaf and um, white soup. gums and soup. soup was the biggest one. Oh, nails to take soup, broccoli, just a head of broccoli, blend it with chicken stock and eat it, and he just would message me all the time telling me how fantastic like, oh, it is. Oh, soup is amazing. <laughs> so, mm, yeah, like getting oh. through. I think two kilos of cauliflower a day by the end. Of, <laughs> by the end. Of the and and these like uh, you you guys will be like yep I recognise that I know that feeling but you can't for tell most anyone people, else yeah that's it and that it what well, something I wanted to ask you about is really these funky behaviours and psychological shifts that happen and Steve you kind of alluded to it with if you're able to eat up into the show not only do you look fuller and better rather than kind of flat towards the end of a diet but there's also this shift in um, the highly strong sense of like I am running low on reserves now is is dampened a bit and you're able to just step on the stage and uh kind of embrace it a little bit more have you guys um dealt with that in the past and how have you managed to combat it do you have a cauliflower problem do you have a cauliflower <laughs> 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 steve go um, ahead so i think 
Yeah, definitely. It's really weird. And I always liken this to kind of, I don't know, like Walden Farms, for example. Walden Farms, oh, when, when, you're, when your normal body fat percentage, when you're not dieting, it tastes Horrendous. awful. Like, it's not good. Wow, but, great example. Because like, when you you're... wouldn't even look twice at a Walden Farms ketchup. <laughs> no. Whereas <or> <laughs> like, when you're dieting, I it's always... like on a pedestal in your room and no one can touch it. Yeah, it's like, no, so, no, someone, no. someone's touched my wall in the <laughs> And then so, you, you I have, mean, like, flatmates people... come in, and they'll be like, mate, I had some of that ketchup. You're like... And it was disgusting. You did what? <laughs> it's not disgusting, it's amazing. I can remember making protein pancakes for me and my girlfriend and putting Warden Farms chocolate sauce over it and being like, oh, you're going to love that. And she ate it, and I thought she enjoyed it. And now, when, she, when we talk about it, she's like, yeah, I was just being nice, it was disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> like, that sauce is horrible, but... Yeah, I used to use, I had Walden Farms barbecue sauce, ketchup, marshmallow spread, all of the, all of the Walden Farms. So yeah, that's one good example. And then, I don't know, coffee gets a bit too much. I, I, I relied a lot on decaf coffees though, so that was quite good, but with excessive sweeteners in there. Um, I remember eating a lot of just tons of vegetables, cauliflower pizza, everything that you think you wouldn't want to do or wouldn't do you end up doing so like you think oh i never want to have a cauliflower pizza but you end up doing it and that becomes an obsession i remember cooking oats slow cooked oats i'd make i'd cook it maybe like 10 times it was just it got horrific um you do do very strange things in prep and i I, they're things i want to try and avoid and i want to try and stay as normal as possible but you actually end up loving it and I can massive salad was one thing as well. Like just always every meal, just have a massive salad. So um, yeah, there's some of the, the kind of weird tendencies. I think Pascal already uh, get is, has been getting into some of those. <laughs> I think it's it's like saying before you go out for a few drinks, like I'm just gonna have one, and then you have one, and then one turns into two, and then by the time you've had two, it's like I'll just have a third. Like, it's the same. I think that you go through this transition. You start off dieting, thinking I'm gonna avoid everything like that this time. And then bit by bit, they creep in. And then by the end of it, you're like, yeah, I'm going to have to go buy another bag of frozen cauliflower to (laughs) to make a pizza this evening. I remember feeling getting really protective and particular over certain things. So like um, I used to have a a, a cappuccino from Starbucks. If ever we went into town when I was at uni, I had a cappuccino from Starbucks with skim milk. I bet you knew the macros by heart as well. Yeah, yeah. I knew I I could fit one in and it was like my, my treat. And I used to have a little bit of cinnamon on top. And that was... If someone went like, oh, I don't want to go to Starbucks, like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going like, to have to recalculate now. Oh. Well, like, that's why I'm here. Like, you can't <laughs> yeah. say something like that to me. So you get really, really specific, protective. And the same thing with Walden Farms. Like, caramel dip and snacker jacks. Oh, yeah. Caramel snacker jacks dipped in caramel dip. And that was, like, the nicest thing I'd tasted in ages. And, so strange. But, yeah, I think I'd rather just go hungry than eat that stuff now. It's strange. This is the thing, like, my girlfriend, when she diets, she doesn't have these, like, diet foods at all. She's like, I prefer to have, like, calorie-dense stuff and just nice food. Mm. And I can't get it at all, and I still don't get it. I have to have, like, high-volume foods. And I think it's just someone who, I think when you are getting to those lean levels of body fat, like, you just rely on stuffing your face. Like, you just, and it might just be vegetables, but as long as you can do that, it makes the world of difference. And I think... Also accepting that you're going to do that and accepting the fact you can't maybe have, a, like, I know Sohi Lee did that whole Snickers for the entire prep she did for a uh, bikini prep. And I think 
And I think she must have found that really hard. <laughs> you think how many massive salads you could have for, you, for your little Snickers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think there's a point at which you have to accept that you like switching over to these diet foods is fine and you need to accept that that's going to happen. But trying to stay away from that initially is a good thing. Um, so, yeah, it's, I'm not looking forward to those times, but kind of knowing that they're, they're going to come and know that you've got all of these different things because um, like you've got slim noodles, slim pasta, and everything now. Um, but yeah, I do think those, them as well. But they're yeah. horrible, aren't they? Like they're horrible. They smell I so remember, bad. I have a memory of loving them, but obviously, <laughs> like you try them now and you're like, I think what you, was the first? You part? reach a point at which, like, it doesn't matter how you just want to feel mechanically full, don't you? Yeah. Like you couldn't yeah. care. Like I'll eat anything as long as I considered at one point. <laughs> Oh no! Just eating a box of tissues, Seriously? Like a sponge. Yeah, just thinking like it's something. It just, we just uh, I feel so nice and full. <laughs> so, guys, I think we'd better wrap things up. It looks like Pascal is having all kinds of. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Right oh, we can hear Pascal. What? We can hear you. I didn't realize you. Were... <laughs> yeah, but I can't see you, man. We can't see you. I'm sorry. <laughs> But that's that's fine. It, it, it's been really, really interesting talking to you both. And uh, I think uh, here we are. Uh, he, he's back yeah, I'm back. <laughs> because you know, it's, uh, it's it's an unusual thing for for four lads to be sat on a on a Skype talking about vulnerability <laughs> and uh, and emotional ups and downs. So uh, it's certainly mm. something that I think in the fitness industry people often try and paint this. Uh, invincible picture and it's really cool to to see how um, how human the whole process is and uh, some really good takeaway points as well and i think how difficult it is like we we push a lot of content towards being really careful around pursuing leanness as a goal and really understanding the fray the full frame around it and what it actually entails because this stuff i think never gets shared really um you see like steve cook on the front of a supplement bottle and think like oh man like yeah i'm definitely gonna like have a scoop of this every morning and I'll, before I know it, I look like that. And yeah, he's, he's doing it because it's his job and it's his living, but getting like that without some help from some chemicals, I suppose, can be very, very challenging and maintaining that level of condition can be very challenging. So I think this has been a, an awesome chat. Certainly. Anything else to, uh, to say before we go guys? Uh, all I'd say is I, I guess from that perspective as well, it's, I think, for the viewers who are listening to this, they're probably people who aren't like Steve Cook then. They are more like us. And so that I hope they can relate to what we're saying because we are going to be much more normal um, and more relatable for them. And I think for most people, they should look towards people like your guys' content. Um, and I think that will help them a lot more. Um, yeah, I think that's everything I've got to say. So how can we find out more? Oh, so, sorry, Pascal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Pascal can talk. That's, no, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> oh, no, no I, I, I don't really have anything to add because, uh, as you guys mentioned, I think uh, there's a lot of glamorous stuff going on in the fitness industry, which really doesn't show how it actually is or uh, how the majority of the people who are actually training and doing some stuff with nutrition, um, it's not representing those kind of people. And I think people need to really get away from the Instagram glamour uh, and yeah just be try to be the best version of themselves cool well Very yeah nice. and speaking of Instagram glamour these guys have got um, a really some great very real social media um, stuff that you can follow them on so the website revivestronger.com is that right yeah. one word 
their Instagram. Steve is prolific on on Instagram, particularly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, how can we how can we follow the rest of your stuff? So I'm Revive Stronger on any social media, um, and we have actually. If people want to learn more about kind of our kind of uh, to stage our journey to stage, um, we've got Revive to Stage coming out. Um, which will be on the Macros Bodybuilding and Powerlifting podcast um, and on YouTube. So that'll be me and Pascal. And then, yeah, I think Pascal's got some handles as well. Yeah, uh, you can find me over (laughs) on... That was just another little dig at the end there, Steve. (laughs) You can find me over at Instagram with uh, the handle Pascal underscore floor. And also you can find me on Facebook with the same name, Pascal Floor, and uh, I'm mostly active on both platforms. And uh, yeah, fantastic. I would love awesome. chatting with all of the guys out there. Excellent. Yeah, we'll we'll link to all of that stuff. And uh, if anyone's interested in doing a contest prep on how to get in touch with you guys too, awesome. and uh, Pascal's love yeah. handles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. That's everything from Thanks this episode. Um, we'll speak soon.